Welcome once again to the Global Gale podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor and this is the weekly podcast for the 70 odd million people around the world from Ireland or of Irish heritage. And once again, we have a sporting theme on the podcast. For the last few weeks, I've been trying to bring you the lowdown on the teams that uh, the Irish women's team are going to face at the Women's World Cup. The Irish women's team have now gone home from the World Cup. They got one point out of their three games over there. Fantastic achievement to get to the World Cup finals for the very first time in their history and they performed tremendously well. Could they have performed better? I think if they were a little bit more ambitious when I'm looking around now at the other teams that made it through to the knockout rounds I think Ireland played very safe and quite defensively at times and I'm thinking to myself now could have got out of that group now because uh, Nigeria who went through if you like in our place quite a good team but I think it looked like in the final game that we had the beatings of them all right but look at these are all learning experiences it's the first time that the girls and green have been there and I'm just so proud and so delighted to see them performing so well on that stage. Uh, As they were doing that, uh, the World GAA Games were going on in Derry in Northern Ireland and it's one of those things that the GAA abroad, if you're listening to this, is probably close to your heart and it's extremely close to my heart. a few years ago, a good few years ago now, myself and a chap from Kerry called Colin Courtney set up the Stockholm Gales here in Stockholm in Sweden where I live and it has just been, I don't know, I've sort of had two lives in Sweden. I had my life before the Stockholm Gales and I had my life after it and the life after the Stockholm Gales seems to me or feels to me to be infinitely better because it's just so much fun being involved in Gaelic games, getting out there, playing the games themselves, meeting people, meeting your neighbours and your friends on the sideline, going into battle with them, travelling to places like Copenhagen and to Oslo and to Helsinki and kicking a ball, seeing my own children start to play, seeing other children in the community start to play and it's just something that has given me so much over the years particularly playing, that's what I enjoy most despite the fact I'm getting old and grey I was never that quick so I was going, I can't say I got any slower over the years, you know, pretty much at a dead stop as it is, but it's just it's so much crack to be involved in so this week what I wanted to do on the Global Gale podcast and indeed the Irish in Sweden podcast that comes out on the same feed in about 48 hours time we're going to look back over those global games in Derry so returning to the podcast this week is Tony Bass and Tony's a very very good friend of mine one of my favourite people uh, in Europe and in the GEA in general just a fantastic guy who uh, co-opted me onto what used to be called uh, the European County Board it's now called Gaelic Games Europe and I was involved in the board of that for several years there's PRO and doing various other bits and pieces but Tony has been secretary he has been chairperson uh, he has refereed he's he's disallowed goals that I've scored and I still managed to forgive him after all these things so he was there last week as part of the, the Gaelic Games Europe team was helping out there helping to coordinate the various different teams from Belgium the Netherlands Luxembourg and indeed uh, the Camogie team that was representing Europe there so I said I'd get him on before I do that boys and girls just let me remind you that this is a community supported podcast it is for the 70 million Irish community around the world and if you would like to support it and and make sure that it keeps coming out every week please feel free to contribute a fiver a month at patreon.com forward slash man in stockholm fiver a month patreon.com man in stockholm and that will keep the lights on and keep these podcasts coming to you and there are great plans ahead 
Um, myself, my good friend Aunt Morrissey, you have great plans ahead for all sorts of stuff to, to really level things up in the in the near future. So if you can get in there and support that, that will give us the resources to do it and we can keep bringing you these podcasts. Anyway, uh, without further ado, let us talk to Tony Bass about what happened in Derry. And of course, we also had to have a look as two Dublin men were bound to do at what happened in the All-Ireland Final, which Tony went after the Global Games or the World Games uh, in Derry were finished. So here he is from Maastricht, his home in Maastricht in the Netherlands where he lives. So a little bit with a cold because he gave up the fags about 10 days ago but uh, still generous enough to give me his time and to come on the podcast to talk about the GAA and all the great things that happened in Derry about a week ago. It's really, really difficult for a tournament of this size to actually sort of get any sort of a view. So let's start at the very beginning of, of last week's uh, mm. World Games in Derry. How many teams were involved? How many players were involved? How many referees were involved? Um, yeah, I suppose what we're looking at is, um, uh, what was it, 96 teams, 43 from Europe, nearly 50%. Um, you would have had, I suppose, 1,500 to 2,000 players. I didn't get an exact count on them. Um, and certainly there were about, uh, I'd say, 50, 60 referees and officials involved. About 250 volunteers from Jerry GAA and, and Camogie and Ladies Football. And a wonderful setup with seven full-size pitches. Well, although we weren't using a full-size, but we had seven pitches, loads of room. And that was probably the thing that came across me as, as really different from previous games. Everything was comfortably on one setting with loads of room. But probably more visitors I've seen than other games. It certainly got more traction than previous editions in Waterford or Dublin where the games were just lost. Um, so it's the fourth, fourth edition, the biggest and best yet, in my opinion. Mm. Um, if we go back even further, Tony, what's the point of the World Games? Because the GA outside of Europe, we play on our regional levels. We play mm. in the Nordics. You played in Benelux for years and ref in Benelux for years. We know about the growth of the games in the Middle East and the Asian Games is a huge tournament. Why is it necessary, do you think, to bring everybody together in one place in Ireland and, and to play one another? Yeah, I, I think there's two two main th- elements to it. One is we like to test ourselves against teams from other areas. Um, going home, going back to Ireland, I should say going home, but 60% of players in, in Europe these days are not Irish. So going to Ireland is not really a true test because teams there tend to be playing since they were kids, etc. have a lot more choice. They're usually often too strong for teams from international units. Um, and then other international units would have a different complexion. I'm, I'm talking about Europe now, which, as I said, there's a lot of new players and things like that. If you're in Middle East or Australia, it's a lot of Irish players, a lot of Irish people there who make up the teams. And they're sort of coming home and they like to play at home again. Uh, in fact, you know, there's some ex-inter-county people uh, playing. We ran into a Camogie team with, uh, I think there was two or three all-stars on it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so there's different. And then the other thing is, international units had no way of actually playing each other until this World Games came around. And there was a few of us pushing for it, in particular the Middle East Asia boards in Europe, back in around 2013, 2014. And eventually, the you know, we, we sort of, I won't say Co Park were pushing back, but they really weren't run, taking it up and running with it. So, um, yeah, the, the Middle East board started, you know, beginning to organise the games. Etihad came on board. And in 2015, we had the first games in Abu Dhabi when I think there was about 20-odd teams. I can't remember the exact number. So it has grown in every edition. 2016, we went to Dublin. 2019, we we're in Waterford. And now in uh, 2023, it should have been last year, but COVID messed up the cycle. Uh, we were in we're in Derry and, and you know just in Obeg, the centre of excellence there. But I think what made it so good was the fact that 
the whole community in Derry came up behind it. When you're in a big city like Dublin, you're a drop in the ocean. You don't really get an impact. When you're in a place like Waterford or Derry and you start off with a big parade at the start, uh, you know, which like Waterford would have watched spray uh, every year, the, the festival, Derry would have his own. But this was like a Gaelic Games festival. I'm marching through the city in, in a parade, you know, particularly in Derry, which is a walled city. The roads are pretty tight and all. There was a brilliant atmosphere. I'm finishing off in front of the Guildhall um, and Square there. And, and, you know, they're learning every time this year. It was much more punchy, compact sort of um, parade, Waterford. The entertainment actually was great, but it went on for too long. And the teams mm. want to get off having an early night because you're playing again the next morning. So, like, the biggest expense usually is travel and accommodation and that kind of thing. And you mentioned Etihad coming on board there as a sponsor when the first yeah. event was play, took place in Abu Dhabi. How how do you fund, or how do the clubs fund these things? How do the Corja Khmer from Cambodia, how did they manage to get there, for instance? They probably have more money than anybody else by the end of it. Um, <laughs> their fundraising was outrageous. I mean, they would 70,000 coming to, to Derry, I think they'd raised 70,000 euros. Amazing amount of money. And, and and they truly deserve it. I mean, it's a great story. Uh, and, and, you know, they, you know, many of them were orphans, etc. Uh, there was even people going around collecting for them in Derry. So that was great. <laughs> Every other team does it as best we can. Um, so, for instance, the Benelux teams, they literally got to, every team gets it. It does get a subsidy from the GA towards travel expenses, and that varies according to how far you are away from Ireland. So the European teams all got one thousand five hundred euros to divide up amongst the teams, which makes you know it's a help. It's a help. Some people ran GoFundMe pages. Others had other sponsors. And the overall event was sponsored by FRS Recruitment, who specialise in bringing um, Irish people back into Ireland. Uh, people who've been abroad so in a way that sponsorship was really well tailored for something like the world games mm. uh, and they, they also sponsor ga go as well and ga go were also um, a minor sponsor i think on it as well certainly their, their name is on, on a lot of stuff um and then you know there are various other people who participate through providing services and things like that so try and keep the cost down a lot of the teams were staying in the mcgee college campuses the uh, university of ulster campus in Derry, and that was like 36 sterling a night. So for a week, it was about 280 euros, something like that, and self-catering. So it's, it's not too bad. Um, and, uh, you know, every hotel and guest house and Airbnb and Derry seem to be occupied. But again, you know, people seem happy enough. I mean, put it this way, when it comes to accommodation, Northern Ireland hasn't reached the rip-off proportions of our beloved Dublin by any means, you know. I'm glad to hear it because I can only imagine you were there for the All Ireland weekend. I can only imagine what you had to pay for that. What was your own role in it? Totally? It was worth every cent, Phil. It was worth every cent. Oh, oh, we, oh <laughs> believe you me, we'll get to that. There's a long period of the podcast at the end here. We're going to talk about that. Um, but what was your own role in it? Totally? Because obviously, you're a development officer for Gaelic Games Europe yeah. still, are you? And you were also yeah, looking so, after our Camogues as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And uh, coordinating the four Benelux teams, you know, it, it sort of keeps me out of trouble a little bit. Well, a little bit anyway. <laughs> Um, so that was, it would have all started. The planning started back towards last November, December. Uh, we had a discussion at, at the Gaelic Games Europe TG convention where we adopted a philosophy. Uh, and basically, there are two options, really. You know, you try and select your best, most competitive teams or you try and bring everyone who's interested in going. And we went for the latter option. Uh, because of experience, we know it's very difficult, even if you've got, you know, the best players in Europe, they haven't played together in the same way as a Middle East or an Australian team would, would have, um, or perhaps some of the, you know, the American teams. And indeed, there were club teams there from States and, and, and Britain. And in fact, the, the British uh, 
uh, team from Birmingham, like Sean McDermott, they actually won the men's international football. They're all second generation Irish, but they are technically international players. Um, so th- there's all the all the various competitions and things. We we decided for the last few few games that in recognition of the difficulty and also in recognition of the impact and the and the personal experience, but also the impact for motivation, enthusiasm, which drives recruitment in the future, that it's as well to bring anyone who wants to go. So we adopted a no one gets left behind type of philosophy. Mm. Uh, now, what we did was at the convention, we decided that national teams representing France or uh, Germany or whatever, they were the first choice. Second choice would go to areas within countries like a, a sub-region like Galicia or whatever, um, well, they'd be a national team, sorry, Gascony in France. Uh, and then, you know, on board areas like the Benelux region. And the third one would be European teams, which would be a catch-all for anybody that doesn't have a national or regional team to play with. Now, as it happens, then some of the teams don't fill up. Uh, we would have started the recruitment process in January with an email call to, to people. Um, and we got you know hundreds of people applying for that, as did the various national federations and the regional organisations as well. Um, so what we do is towards the end of it, we start you know if 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 a team doesn't fill up, like for instance the Benelux Open Hurling team actually accommodate five or six people from outside Benelux to make sure that they were able to travel. Uh, personally, I think it's a great philosophy because everybody who goes tends to have a great time and a wonderful experience, and they come back with great memories. Well, I always say memories are more important than medals. You can't buy a memory. Um, and that gives them enthusiasm, motivation to go out. And I would say you will find that the recruitment levels will go up enormously from everybody who's been there, will be inspired to recruit even more. And for a lot of people, it's the first time ever in Ireland and they're playing Gaelic games for the first time. And that adds to the experience. We've had that before. We've had a few representatives from Stockholm, both native-born players. Stevie O'Brien from Donegal played in the men's football team a few years ago. But we also had, I think, Anna Fanlund played for Europe on the women's yeah. team a few years ago. And you're right in that these people become evangelists then when they come home. They were players they when they left. They absolutely do. Absolutely do. It's brilliant. And, to and I can expect the Stockholm Camogie section to grow exponentially now after having a representative on the team this year. And would you believe that this Global Gale podcast is out on Saturday? The following Monday, we're going to have the Stockholm Camogie team on talking about their experience of being there as well. Because those girls, uh, Michelle Cotter came back and she was absolutely, she's flying now altogether, heading down yeah. to The Hague as well. But your own personal role, were you coaching that Camogie team then? And how, how many grey hairs? I, yeah, so what I, what I did was I said, look, if I coordinate the Benelux teams because I have the experience and know how they you know, the, the whole setup goes. And we found managers then for the, with four teams in the Benelux region, uh, a hurling, an open and an international men's football teams and an international ladies football teams. And then after a while, then they get their own team liaison officers, as they're called. So I work with the TLOs um, to sort of get organised. And then I said, look, I'll step in. I coach the European team wherever there's a gap. And there were two gaps. So there was an international camogie team and an open camogie team. Perhaps I should explain international and open. Um, anybody can play in an open team, including Irish people and Irish uh, people who have lived in Ireland. International is for non-Irish born people and, and people who have not grown up in Ireland. That's a pr- pretty good distinction there. So that means that it's a, it's very much a levelling of the playing field, if you like, so that we don't have a bunch well, of lads yeah. who played. Yeah, um, it is to a point. Um, you can't accommodate, you can't account for... <coughs> You can't account for the fact that there would be ex-inter-county players in a different region or the fact that there's thousands of young Irish teachers and nurses and uh, working in Middle East. That gives them an advantage in the open competitions. 
the international competitions actually were bigger this time. Hmm. So, for instance, in the men's international football, I think there were 27, 28 teams, and they divided it into two divisions. Uh, in fact, Division 2, I think it's 16 teams, 14 of them were European. Wow. Uh, it is it is an issue, though, in time to get to... This is something that we, has to be looked at in future years and continues to grow. One, can it be, you know, can the capacity, a venue with the capacity uh, be found? And two, to, trying to do some sort of a better grading exercise, perhaps have all grading games on day one, uh, and then move into competition on day two, but you only have then three days because the finals are on Friday. And I mean, the main cup finals were played in Celtic Park. Brilliant innovation. The last two times they brought us up to Crow Park, uh, and that meant on a Thursday evening everybody's scrambling onto buses. Plus, you have the job of finding accommodation for one or two nights in Dublin. This time we stayed in Derry. We had all the finals in Celtic Park. Uh, they're up in in, in, the, in the Bogside Craigan area of Derry. Wonderful atmosphere. Most of the teams, because we're all in Derry, everybody came along to watch the finals. When it was in Dublin, only the teams that were participating really attended. Mm. So, you know, there's eight, nine finals. So that means that there's about a fifth of the teams are there on the day. Uh, but because it was in Derry, everybody came along to have a look. And they had marching bands before every final, big screen. You had the whole big competition treatment of it. But in a smaller stadium, you get a better atmosphere. And I really mm. thought that worked brilliantly. Mm. What was the standard of play like, Tony? Now, I'd imagine it's, there's going to be a wild variance if you have ex-Camogie All-Stars to people who've only picked up a hurl or started kicking a football yeah. in the last year. Well, you know, again, a European team, huge disadvantage. We meet on a Monday. I literally had the numbers and names on a list so it was like I could, I could look out for the number and then call the name. And by the end of the week, you get to know the girls. Uh, and they were all brilliant. Um, you know, there were various levels of ability. The international team, we went out. Somehow we won our first game. We were playing our near neighbor, well, my, my near neighbours in Germany, a goal and a point to a point after 20 minutes of play, 18 minutes of play. We met them again in the semi final on Thursday and they got revenge on us. They beat us two points to no score uh, with six frees and it was a cross win. We just couldn't get that over the bar and then hit the crossbar in the last minute with a 20 meter free. But the girls had a great time. I was devastated. I actually shed tears. I become so involved and, and emotionally involved in the team at the end. But look, at we had a great week. Our open team, we won a few games, lost a few games. We got to the semi-final and ran into Australia, uh, who had two Kilkenny All-Ireland medal winners and two All-Stars on the team. Uh, that was not such a nice result at the end. 7-19 to two points, say quickly in the passes by. <laughs> Yeah, there is a bit of a problem. I remember years ago with the Viking Gales when they were at their best, we had um, Declan Graham from County Antrim and Owen Sheedy from County Clare, two brilliant hurlers. And because of the fact yeah. that it's an 11 aside pitch, basically, you know, Declan will get the ball at cornerback or whatever, send it into Owen on the edge of the yeah. square, and it was a score. And it, like, it was a very basic industrial form of hurling, but you know, yeah. they won whatever you were yeah, Well, hurling has changed now, but you'd be glad to know there was a, a Viking Gale, Brendan Weathers, was probably the best player on our Benelux hurling team. Brilliant. Well, it's one of those things. And again, the game, of course, is changing as well. I was talking to Michelle Carter recently about how best to, to, to approach it when you're playing with girls who haven't played before. And I was saying that, you know, keeping the ball, ball in hand, hand pass, and almost like what football has become, you know. Mm. Um, well, when you looked around at, the, you know, the, the referees and the various people who were involved, you know, the people who were involved from Derry, what did they have to say about this? Was this a big thing for them, for their city, for their community? Yeah, yeah. It, it really was huge. And... You know, you, you could really see it. Like an awful lot of people come out to see the opening parade on the Monday evening. You know, the local paper, the Daily Journal, um, had, you know, saturated coverage. It was on all the radio stations. So you get that when you're in a medium-sized city. 
Hmm. And I think that's where Waterford and Derry have have shown that it's better to go for those locations rather than a Dublin or you know maybe even a Belfast or Cork, uh, because you just you know you're you're a much bigger event in a smaller pool, so you get saturation coverage, and you know that really engages local people in it. I mean, there was a lot of local people came along to have a look and see what this was all about. You know, it was free entry, hmm. and I think they were blown away when they actually saw. You know, the likes of the Khmer football team or, you know, the Argentinian hurler, you know, the German Germany had two teams of native born hurlers. No, that, you know, I couldn't have even conceived of that when I came out here 20 years ago, you know. And mm. um, what's the next step then? Because like, are we still in a situation where Croke Park is kind of looking at this going, yeah, yeah, and patting you on the head? And, you know, is there a sort of a, a roadmap, yeah. if you like, to where this is supposed to lead? Well, I, I think this is part of... of and you can really see, and certainly someone like myself can really see that Co-Park, uh, the GA and the other associations, but Co-Park in particular, are really beginning to engage more since the creation of, of the World GA Council, the appointment of Charlie Harrison, Sligo, former Sligo footballer, and now as the international manager. Uh, Mickey Twig, who used to be in New York, is now looking after all the Global Games development grants. And Charlie and Mickey were... You know, hugely responsible for making this such a successful event, along with a range of other staff and volunteers. But you asked me about Cherry GA, and uh, I was lucky to have I had lunch with John Keenan, uh, who's the chairman of Cherry GA, second time around actually, as it happens. And John was hugely instrumental in developing Own Beg, and you could see the sheer pride in Derry hosting it when talking to John. But you could also see that they're getting benefits from the injection it gives into GA locally. You know. You know, there was like I I I had help from a couple of dairy people who were helping me. There was a Reese Armstrong from St Mary's Club and Banner was helping me coach the Camogie teams, um, because he's fit enough to keep up with them. Whereas I'd be standing in the middle with a whistle, you know. Um, but Reese, you know, like a wonderful guy, he's now coming out to do a bit of coaching for me in two months' time. So there's benefits for the home for the people who pop, you know, who for the local population who get involved as well. I mean, it was said time and again at various speeches and all that, you know, which is often addressed, say, in the Guildhall Square, that when people go abroad, there is this GA community and network there when Irish people leave Ireland. And that's also something that would be very important in an area like Terry, where there has been some unemployment in the past. You know, um, what we had there as well was the, you know, the, the Lisa Orsi Foundation. And, and they've been out to Asia a number of times because Lisa had been involved in the Singapore Lions when she um, tragically died young. Um, and that foundation was also because it's from Derry. They were involved and, and they were, you know, they, they, they were one of the ones giving a talk at the, at, at the World Games. In fact, that was another innovative thing this year. There was a range of symposiums alongside the Games. So unfortunately, I was a bit too busy with two, managing two teams. One wasn't enough, but managing two, I didn't get to have many of the talks. But there was a whole range of talks on coaching topics, on genealogy, um, on you know volunteering, on the Lisa Dorsey Foundation. So there was a whole range of other activities to keep people interested while you were there and not playing. Um, do you think now that there's going to be more sort of um, say across regional play now? Because say you know the guys who play in the Nordics here, there's there's only one team really, a Stockholm Camogie team, and then the Viking yeah. girls hurlers are drawn from all the clubs in the region, right? Uh, now obviously, yeah. if the Stockholm girls want to play, they're going to have to go to tournaments in the Hague and that kind of thing. Do you see a yeah. sort of a potential there for for um, you know more sort of visits here and there? It's almost like study visits yeah. where you go to well, a city you know, and you play away. We we've been you know to be experimenting in Europe a little bit. We've had a what we call the Nations Cup. Last year it was in Pontevedra, and that will run in between World Games years. 
And what we need to now look at is, and you've just inspired a thought in my mind, I, I have an idea coming down the tracks now for other codes to have a Nations Cup. Um, whether I wanted extra work in Maastricht or not, I'll have to think about that one. But Phil, there you are. You're always an inspiration to me. <laughs> it's fantastic to hear altogether. Um, let's move on to, the, like, it, obviously the great thing about being at home on that particular week was uh, you, the, the finals were played on the Friday, but there was a slightly bigger final played in Croke Park on the Sunday. And I believe Mr. Bass, somehow through his GEA contacts, was able to get a ticket. What was the All-Ireland final weekend for like for, for well, you? Well, I actually it? had two All-Ireland final weekends because I was a delighted neutral at a fabulous hurling final. I, you know, that Limerick hurling team is probably the best hurling team I've ever seen. Incredible. Uh, with all due respects to all my Kilkenny friends, they were just phenomenal. Uh, so that set us up. So after after that Sunday, we jumped in the cars, drove to Derry, had our World Games. And then we jumped in the car on Saturday evening, drove back to Dublin to see my our beloved Dublin uh, win um, a seventh title in, what was it, nine years? Seven, years, nine years, yeah. Nine well, years. You, you... You met, you mentioned the hotel prices that kind of thing. Did you stay in a hotel somewhere in Dublin? Well, luckily yeah. enough, I, I stayed with a, a very good friend of mine, Sean Fitzpatrick, who was actually my predecessor as a civil servant out in Maastricht, and we're we're friends over the years. Um, and I got to go to the game with my son. Yes, I was lucky enough to draw the single Maastricht Gales ticket. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm sure there'd be an internal inquiry after that. Um, well, but um, look at you know, there's nothing we can do if your name is first out of the hat. What can we do? It doesn't matter what else it, is you in know, the hat. I'm, I'm, and, and you know, and I conducted the draw in the best of circumstances, admittedly on my own, with my own hat. But there you go. Uh, <laughs> These things happen. Well, we have Premier's... a policy. We always, we always give tickets to someone from the participating counties anyway, so... Yeah, I, I think that's actually in the in the the constitution of the Stockholm Gales that that's how the distribution of the club ticket will always go in the first hand to competing counties or members from the competing counties. And um, what was your all? I mean, that's not the first All Ireland final, All Ireland football final that no. you've seen Dublin win. What was your day like, Tony? Yeah. Because it used to be back in the day that you would say to everybody in Europe, right, let's meet at this hotel, and I'm giving you all your tickets. You have thirty <laughs> minutes to show up, and if you don't show up, your ticket's gone. So now, obviously, we know, every year I did it, it, there was always. Someone who was late, so I I think I rarely got to see the first half of the minor match. Um, so nowadays, all the tickets are done by barcodes. It's all done, you know, electronically before you go. So you, I actually I used to moan about it, but I used to love that bit because handing mm. out the tickets because you see people you haven't seen for maybe a year or two years or whatever. Everyone offers you a pint. Thankfully, I didn't take one from everyone over the years, um, or I probably <laughs> wouldn't be here. You would have missed um, the second half of the minor match as well, then. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I did, I, I suppose I missed the walking from the hotel over to the grounds and all the flavour and all that goes with that. But I, I was staying close enough in Clonliffe Road. Um, so wandering into the stadium certainly got um, all, all of the atmosphere. Met my son in Crow Park. Um, and my brother and his uh, son were actually uh, two blocks over from me. So there was a sort of a gang of us. So that was nice. That was the first time I was in the same vicinity as my brother had a game. And I had another son upstairs. Don't know where he got the ticket from. Haven't asked him yet. Um, so there was quite a few family there. To me, um, it was a very different final not having a minor game before it. Um, and, I'm, you know, there's mixed views on whether the minors are now with under 17 or 16. Are they too young to be there? I think the bigger tragedy is all the families struggle to get tickets when the minors mm. were playing before the senior game. Uh, whereas now they have a separate event, uh, you know, I think it was in Tullamore last year. And everybody could go. And there was a lovely atmosphere there. There's mixed views in the GA about this, almost as many as about changing the dates of the All-Irelands. Um, but sure, look, it's, you know, sometimes you have to innovate to move forward. What I loved about the Tubs, though, they innovated by bringing back the oldies. 
Uh, Stephen <laughs> Cookson, I'm convinced that man has, you know, I think there's ice in his bloodstream. Um, and the funny thing was, I have felt a very different emotional context to the game. As soon as uh, Klukow stroked over that 45 after, what was it, two and a half minutes, I felt serenely calm for the rest of the game. Now, I jumped up at every score and I, I certainly had shed tears at the end. Um, but I, I met my son was, was, it was like watching a mirror image of myself over the years because he's up and down and, you know, saying a few words about my good friend David Goff, who was refereeing, who I actually thought <laughs> had a very good game. Actually. He did well. He did um, very well. Because it was difficult. It was difficult sort of uh, conditions to referee in, to be honest. It was very greasy underfoot, very slippy. There was a few drops of rain. Um, not not great football conditions. But in in the context of all that, yeah, I, I thought it was a titanic game, especially the second half. Mm. Um, and I've had the pleasure of watching it back. And I always have two two ways of looking at a game. One when I'm, when I'm there and two when I watch it back. Uh, it's a totally different game sometimes when you watch it like that. Mm. But, you know, I, I mean... It was wonderful to see them. Of course, there was a huge sense of immense pride at the three boys getting their ninth medals, you know. Mm. And you know, we, we can now make faces at the Kerry men, you know, who only have eight, uh, and and they were all brilliant, brilliant players who deserved their eight medals. Who who only have eight medals? I love the sound of that. Like you know, now James McCarthy, Mick Fitzsimons, and Stephen Cluxon all with nine medals. And then, as you mentioned, the the weather wasn't great, but it actually, well, more, most importantly, Fitzy is from my own club. And Kula, and you know, was of the same age, you know, as, as my oldest son. So I, I would have contacted with Fitzy over the years. Absolutely delighted to see him pick up another one. I hope they go, I hope at least some of them go for 10. Uh, I wouldn't put Bass Clucko to, to keep going till he's 50 at this stage, you know. Well, he's like he's like Benjamin Button, he just gets better as he gets older, you know. And yeah. one of the questions that came up when we were watching the game on the television, because obviously it's hard to watch any field sport on the television because you can only see where the ball is and, and thereabouts, right? Uh, yeah. obviously you would have had a special eye for Mick Fitz there and Mark and David Clifford. Did he just man mark him or did Dublin do anything different to take uh, no, Clifford? I, I mean, in some ways it was almost like an old style man marking job. Yes, of course, you dropped off if there's someone going off the shoulder or whatever mm. but most of the time he stuck to the game now David Clifford is probably the best footballer I've ever seen I mm. have to admit that certainly for you know 24 years of age the amount of skill talent and just class that the player has but I think it's a tribute to Fitzy that you know what did he score three points okay he made a goal as well um, I remember my son at that exact moment when they were down in the far corner of the hill I was up there at the, the Davin end the canal end as we used to call it I was in the Cusack, but towards that end. And, um, you know, as soon as says, I, you know, Fitzy has him, he'd, he'd leave him out there in the corner. I said, I wouldn't leave him outside the back door. That fella, let's create something, you know. <laughs> uh, and, he and he did. And the ball came in. Paul Ganey, ma magnificent bit of footwork and recovery to put, score the goal. But I wasn't worried. Mm. I just felt calm because I think I heard it on a podcast last week. Um, I think it was Colin Murrock. I could be saying it wrong. But he said, Dublin have more great players than Kerry have. Yeah. And normally when you have more good or great players, they will be the team who have less good or great players. Mm. It, all things being equal. Um, what was really impressive, everyone was talking about the improved Kerry defence this year. The Dublin defence was incredible. Mm. Um, they kept their shape. I mean, Kerry scored one goal. They didn't really look like getting another one. Whereas Dublin, when they were attacking, and I think this is huge tribute to your club man, uh, Pat Gilroy, their incisiveness in the attack there was much less playing around from side to side. Mm. It was like, if you see that notch, go for it. Don't be afraid to put in the long ball. I mean, to put in a few long balls. You rarely see teams do that. Okay, Conor Callan, another player who will be very attached to being a cooler man, mightn't have scored, you know, done as well as he would. But he certainly 
he was taking the Kerry defence out and there were players getting in behind him because yep. they were watching Con all the time. I do have one question for you, Tony, right? We've asked you already. We've had your GA administrator's hat on. We've had your Dublin fan hat on, your Camogie fan or your Camogie coach hat on, right? But I'm asking you to put your referee's hat on now and explain why Kerry's goal was allowed to stand despite two hops or what looked like two hops by Ganey there because it looked on yeah, the replay like... It's very simple. It's very simple. Um, I would have thought the same as David Goff. I probably wouldn't have got the call right, though, because it was so quickly made. I think he lost control and regained control of the ball. So it wasn't all one play. Mm. Because the second time, um, and the second time, like, literally control of one hand, then grabbed it, put it in. So I didn't see a problem with it. Okay. But I, I, it took slow motion for me to see that. I was screaming at the ref like everyone else on the day. Well, it, it kind of looked to me like, you know, when he lost control of it, he lost control of it because he went to hop the ball again. And then he went, hang on a second, I've already done this. And that yeah. was why, which is why I was he thinking. He didn't do it. Ah, Controlling the ball is when you have two hands. You have to have two hands on the ball to be in control. One hand is not in control. So, for instance, you can get the ball on your own, in your own square. And you can basketball hop it with one hand all the way down to the other end of the field. Technically, you've never taken control of it. Yeah, that's true. Most I remember don't when, know that no, when, when we did a referees course the first time many years ago, I remember being told that and go, Jesus, I should really do that. I used to be handy at the basketball every day, you know. Um, has, it's actually uh, a lot harder to do than you think. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Especially when you have, you know, half the Dublin defence coming at you as well. Big yeah, to be coming yeah. at you there as well. Um, you, you mentioned earlier on about, you know, the changes in the calendar and that kind of thing. Inter-county football, or if you like, you know, the Blue Ribbon events are coming to a close now. The Camogie final is on mm. this weekend as before we're talking. Ladies football yeah. final will be soon. Uh, has the change in the calendar made a difference, do you think, to Gaelic games? And does it make any difference for those of us who play Gaelic games abroad? Um, look, it's like change. I, I, I used to be one of those radical people who thought, you know, you know, I was trying to change the world and, and there was all these Luddites out here who were slow and resistant to change. Now I'm probably in the second camp a little bit. Um, I think the jury's out. You've got to give this a few years and see does it work. It probably will work. If you stand back and look at it strategically, in September, you know, the games are competing with other big field sports that relaunch the Premier Leagues, etc. In the summer, there's less field sport. Uh, okay, this time around, we have the Women's World Cup or whatever, taking their attention. But normally, last, you know, like say last Sunday, what would you have? Maybe a Grand Prix, an athletics event. I wasn't seeing major other things on. So that gives them... The other thing is, normally, you would expect better weather, except for July has been the wettest month in record in Ireland. <laughs> um, so that's a bit unlucky. But if you remember so many times, especially the football on the 3rd September, third Sunday in September, it often was a wet day. And that takes away from it. But the big reason for doing it is that it now gives all players, both county and club players, can, can take a few weeks off in August, club, club championships can start. I mean, in, in some counties, club championships have already started which means that they're coming forward a bit. They're played on better pitches and slightly better weather than slogging out club championships in November, December and January when the conditions are atrocious at times. So, you know, it's also tied in with changes in the format. I probably think they need to tweak the format for the football a little bit. Um, because, you know, if there's three teams going through from a 14 group, it, it does leave a few games where nothing really matters. Mm. Um, if it was two to go through from four, I think that would add a whole extra dimension to it um, but we are seeing more games probably seeing more quality I think by next year all the teams and managers will have worked out a system to peak at the right times which I think Dublin actually did this year they just peaked really well 
Um, they didn't, well, they never, in fairness, don't have to overextend themselves in Leinster. You know, they went through their group matches quite comfortably in most cases, but without, without showing everyone that they were as hot as they were when they got to the knockout stages. You know? mm. That is the hard part, though, as well, because it's just if you mentioned the Women's World Cup there, there were so many teams like Germany and Brazil who went out to the group stage because they were sort of expecting to get through the group stage. But yeah. you still have to go and win those matches. Now, the jeopardy isn't as much maybe with three going through from a four-team group as what it could be. But in general, I mean, I really enjoyed the football this year. I didn't get to see as much of the hurling this year because I was busy working. Yeah. But I thought, you know, there was an awful lot of complaints about, you know, this sort of like playing Olympic handball where the ball goes forward and back. But when you saw teams being incisive and really Really being creative in their yeah. attacking, I thought it was great stuff. What what remains? Yeah, and I think that you know, every year the game evolves, Phil. You know, hmm. like you know, we, we never saw teams being defensive until Donegal in Dublin. This yeah. what was the start of the year weeks coming from Pat Gilroy. Yeah. Um, but that changed. You know, it evolved. Things evolved behind clucks and started ping, ping, pinging the kickouts. Games always evolve, always hmm. evolve. And sometimes we can be overly critical, and it needs people to be critical. There's nothing wrong with being critical of things that are you know you perceive as negative. But I think what the Dubs and a few other teams this year showed that this blanket defence is actually yesterday's tactic. Mm. You know, we're into a new phase now where it's all about the rapid transition is the is the big tactic now. Can you bring the ball out of defence and cut through the other team before they reshape? It was almost a case of teams were allowing the defences to set up again. Whereas now we've seen the benefit of that sharp counter-attack. And there's mm. nothing more exciting in sport, where, in most field sports, than a really well-executed, sharp, precise counter-attack. I think it's so exciting. that I think we've it's a new dimension that we, or it's not a new dimension, but it's a dimension we're seeing more and more. And we've seen some of the great players doing it this year on various county teams. And I agree with you. I think the quality of this year's championship has been very good. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, you never see a one-footed player anymore at the elite level. You know, there's very few players no. who are who are one-footed, which is absolutely brilliant to see, you know. Um, what remains of the European GAA calendar now, Tony? Quite a bit, actually. Um, we have two rounds of the hurling nine-a-side championship left. One's in the, in, in the Hague uh, the first weekend of September. And here in Maastricht, we're hosting the finals of the Camogian hurling. We're also hosting uh, the finals of the 15s uh, hurling, where the winners go on to represent Europe in um, Leinster Junior Championship. Um, there is, of course, a big Pan Euros, which is the open entry every team in Europe can enter football competition, and that has been held in The Hague this year in the middle of October. Um, and then there are very the regions are getting more creative and stronger. And then there's new competitions coming around, like we're running the first ever European Collegiate uh, Camogian Hurling Games in Maastricht in November. So there's constant innovation going on in terms of competitions, in calendars, and moving things around. And I know in the Benelux region, we've really been getting the region sorted. We're now having three-round autumn football league because it was that, you know, if you weren't playing 15s, and we happen to have a lot of teams in the Benelux area who play 15s, but a lot of the smaller clubs weren't getting, they wouldn't get, you know, the Panuras was their only football after the summer. Mm. Um, and there was very little hurling. Now we have actually introduced our own two-round hurling and camogie championship, which we run in the spring as preparation for the European championships. And we're now introducing small, we're calling it a development league for the first year or two, but I think it will eventually become an autumn winter league. And we're running that in multiple locations on the same day. So we just bring three or four teams where there's one pitch, you only need one pitch to host, which also means that some of our smaller clubs have an opportunity to host whereas they couldn't really host a normal round of a Benelux football championship where you need four pitches. Mm. 
So with that, the innovation is happening. I certainly know in Benlux now, if you're a dual player, you can play almost every fortnight from March to November with the exception of August in the two codes. And ultimately, we need to do that to compete with other sports who can offer people a regular programme of 20 or 30 games a year. Mm. Uh, great developments over the last 15 or so years that you and I have known each other and even further developments to come Tony thanks so much for keeping us up to date with what's happening at the Global Games and no doubt when there's anything happening in Europe or around the world we'll drag you back onto the Global Gale but uh, thanks very much for now and I'll talk to you again soon always happy to have a chat with you Phil thanks very much his dad was on up for the match last night Barney one of the greats of Dublin Gaelic football Dean Rock, massive kick from a massive player and a massive score, and they go two clear. Yeah, he doesn't miss them there, a great score, they've given up the kick out, as expected, they've got loads of bodies, James McCarthy sitting right back in front of David Clifford now. The six minutes are over, and it's all over, and Dublin are All-Ireland champions again for the 31st time. You can forget your third quarter push, Kerry did that. Dublin did the final quarter push and that's the one that mattered. You only need to win the game and be ahead of the game at the end and that's exactly where they are and what they've done. There you go, my good friend Dara Maloney there in the commentary booth, high up in Crow Park, watching the Dubs winning the All-Ireland Final. Uh, Dean Rock there kicking the final free of the game. I remember watching his father Barney play when I was standing on the hill as a young man, and now you see Dean standing there, and I don't know how many All-Irelands do you have, six, seven, eight? But he was there with his daughter, whose birthday it was on the same day. It was our first birthday on the same day as our dad was winning the All-Ireland, and it was brilliant. And what was actually better about that day, lads, was I'm not one of these people who's ever really liked watching matches in pubs, right? And the ones, there's a few standout. One was, I remember that I went out to watch Ireland. When was it in the World Cup in USA 94? It must have been. And I went to watch uh, the Ireland play in Italy with a friend of mine then. Uh, and before that I think I may have seen them playing oh no I didn't even all the other games I would have watched at home you know not mad I'm watching games outdoors because I can't behave myself I can I can sit at home and shout and roar at my television and get on with it but that kind of gets embarrassing when you're outside doing things like that but uh, between the jigs and the reels anyway we booked uh, a room in Veerstum's pub in Stockholm right now despite the name it is the best Irish pub in the world lads not just in Stockholm in Sweden but the Stockholm Gales through Colin Courtney booked this uh, the back room there and we sat in there and we had the time of our lives it was just brilliant and Colin as I mentioned earlier on before we spoke to Tony Bass he's from Kerry I'm from Dublin uh, Donald Buckley was there from Kerry as well there was people from Lisa Bruton his El Stadius was there she's from Dublin and there was people from all counties and none there um, Joe from, from Mayo and there was lads from uh, Brian Bournes from Wicklow slash Dublin a whole lot and it was just brilliant altogether and it it was one of those occasions where it's a little bit different if you're Irish in America, if you're Irish in Australia, because you have you tend to have a much bigger community in the cities, like in Philadelphia or New York or Melbourne or Sydney. We don't have the biggest Irish community, but when we get together, it's brilliant crack all together. And the fact that it was Gaelic football that brought us together, and it was, you know the Kerry lads were very magnanimous. Uh, obviously, they were very disappointed that their team didn't win. And again, losing to Dublin is never any crack, you know, no matter what county you're from, I'm sure. But uh, it was a great day altogether, and great to sit. There 
there with friends and neighbours and former teammates and fellas that you, you've poked around with and, and played football with and that kind of thing. It was just magnificent altogether. Uh, as I mentioned, if you've enjoyed this podcast, there'll be a little bit more about the Global Games or the World Games on the Irish and Sweden podcast, which comes out on the same feed on Monday morning. But that is it for this week uh, and for this episode of the Global Gale podcast. I'm lining up an interview with somebody who is a director of innovation for a huge company in the Nordic region, right? And I'm hoping to bring you that one next week. But in the meantime, uh, have a great week wherever you are. Take care of yourselves and take care of one another. And I'll be back with you again this time next week with another episode of the Global Gale podcast. Good luck.